Welcome to the HR Happy Hour Network. This is the Inclusion Crusade with me, Sarah Morgan. I am on a mission to create workplaces where employees feel safe, seen, and supported one episode at a time. And today we are back with our in-house expert, our resident in service, uh, Charlie Pleasant. Hi, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. And I am glad to have Charlie here as we jump into the polarizing topic that has quickly become the harassment lawsuit against singer Liz. Wow. Just wow. Wow. Just wow. Just wow. All right. So starting with the wow. So in case you did not know about it, if this is the first time you're hearing about it, let me give you a quick summary. So the lawsuit um, has been brought by three of Lizzo's former background dancers against Lizzo herself, her company, Big Girl Touring Inc., and her dance captain um whose name last name is quickly charlene charlene quickly and it was filed in los angeles superior court and could result in significant monetary damages should the lawsuit move forward and the defendants be found liable um they are alleging um hostile work environments that featured sexual harassment, a failure to prevent or remedy sexual harassment in the workplace, and a failure to prevent or remedy religious harassment in the workplace. Um, the plaintiffs claim that they were made to feel their employment was precarious and that they had to comply with requests that made them uncomfortable in order to continue working. Um, some of those were requests were of a sexual nature. And um, there were other allegations tied to religious harassment, specifically alleging that Ms. Quigley spoke extensively about her religious views as a Christian and berated those who did not share um, her beliefs. Um, and so they are, um, there was also an allegation that Lizzo expressed concern about one of the dancers gaining weight um and that led the claimant to feel self-conscious and um there were allegations that the dancers had to compete to keep their positions um and during one of these competition sessions where they would bring other dancers in and basically you were dancing to keep your spot one of the dancers alleged to have soiled herself out of fear that she would lose her spot as a dancer if she took a break to go to the rest. Um, so overall, poor working conditions um, and just a lack of accountability, long hours, difficult physical labor, um, short-term contracts, all those things. So, Charlie, where do we start? Where do we start with this? This is so much. So this is huge. Huge. This is this, huge. And I think so most people I feel like are reacting because it's Lizzo. 
And right. Lizzo has this super um, accepting body positive image. Um, she literally hosted an award winning reality show. You all know I'm a reality TV junkie mm-hmm. um, where she did a competition for big girls to be dancers on her tour because she wants to promote that anyone in any size is beautiful and should have the opportunity to show their talents and have that be showcased. And so I think people are really reacting first and foremost out of that because that someone who is associated whose image portrays to be so body positive, so accepting, it's hard to imagine that they would then allow such a horrible environment um, to go Mm -hmm. on around the people who work for them. Um, Since then, um, Lizzo has spoke out. She says that these um, allegations are completely false. um, And there have been made two major performances of hers that were canceled, the Made in America Festival, um, and also the Super Bowl halftime show coming up in 2024. So they have already pulled her from those two um, engagements. Um, so there's a lot, a lot going on here. There's also, um, one of the things that also came out from Lizzo's people is that um, these individuals were terminated for cause and that this them now speaking out is a violation of the non-disclosure agreement that they mm-hmm. um, signed as a part of their employment and that they, for those reasons, they expect this to be quickly dismissed. Um, but only two of the three were terminated. The third one quit um, in solidarity with the other two. Um, okay. And since the lawsuit, there have been three other people who yeah, have I, come forward. Yeah, um, I heard that there are more that are that are expected to come join forward this. and yeah, and expected to potentially join this lawsuit. So um where do we begin? I think what jumps out to me first and foremost is the idea that workplace harassment um it has become way more in its reach than what we are accustomed to it being defined as. And that has been true for a really long time. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I tell clients and attendees when I do harassment, anti-harassment uh, workshops is the workplace is anywhere and everywhere that work is performed or discussed mm-hmm. and everyone always goes silent when I say that because they're like well then that could be anywhere exactly 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 mm-hmm. so when you are at happy hour with your co-workers um talking about work-related things venting about your day whatnot that is a workplace when you are um in the social media DMs, sharing memes about, you know, how this reminds you of your your horrible boss or the terrible meeting that you attended or whatever the case may be, that is a workplace. When you are um, at a conference or an industry 
event together, um, having drinks and enjoying yourselves after the official events are over, that is a workplace. And all of that constitutes a part of your culture and your experience. And people very quickly lose sight of that. And um, that definitely leaves them open to trouble in ways that they do not often anticipate. And also even with adding to that, it doesn't have to be something that directly happens to you per se. Exactly. In order for it to constitute harassment, you can be a bystander. You can be a person that's injured as a result of that, of mm-hmm. being a third party to that. Mm-hmm. So I'm not surprised that we're going to probably hear more people come mm-hmm. out around this um, because it didn't have to happen to them directly. Yeah. Yeah. And I um, think we, we forget about that as well. One of the most difficult harassment cases I think I've worked with in my career was a bystander case, was a case where um, there were two employees who were married to other people engaged in a um, adulterous affair, consensual adulterous affair in the workplace. Um, But it was their coworker who witnessed these um, wayward glances and rendezvous off to wherever and felt like and one of those two was was their boss and so they could not they felt that they could not tell or it would cause trouble you know for them being able to Mm -hmm. keep their job um and then finally broke down and came forward um one of the most difficult cases that i've ever had to investigate and resolve in my career was because no one understood the impact of the bystander. That me being in this workplace, witnessing these two individuals engaging in this way that was inappropriate, not being able to talk about it out of fear of losing my job, having to attend events with their spouses who were not aware that these two people were engaged in an adulterous affair while I have this knowledge that I can't share and the impact that that has on me. And so we don't think enough about the reverberations of right. harassment, even when, even and especially mm-hmm. when there are people involved who they may just they may be having a good time. They may not feel harassed. They may not feel upset. But it's it's the person watching from the sidelines right. that right. is now afraid to speak up, afraid to to do anything because of what it they is don't know they're seeing. They don't know the conditions of engagement either. They don't mm-hmm. they might not know that it's consensual. They may think that this might be a condition of something else. If this isn't done, then, you know, very quick poll poll. So mm-hmm. who knows? And it's not for them to figure out if, if it's it's if it's something that adds to the hostility of a workplace, then it has to be taken seriously. Yeah. And yeah. when your workplace is very non-traditional in the way that I would imagine a, a concert tour um, is, then it it would be like, who do, how do you even know who to tell? 
You know, and so like, that was one of my questions when when I was initially engaging in the in in the content around the lawsuit is that mm -hmm. who's the point person that right. that knows what's happening? What's and, happening? Mm -hmm. It's a tough situation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a very tough situation, and it's going to always come back to Lizzo. Yeah, it definitely. It's will. just going to always land so, there. It definitely will, and then especially may, yeah. If you have a, you know, when you have a, a situation like that, if, where you're in a group that is on the move, I worked for a few years for a um, retail services company, and we would have teams that would travel from one, say, Home Depot to another Home Depot, doing remodels on the stores and and so forth, um, but when we deployed them, they always knew who their travel, they had captains. And it was like, this is your captain. This is who you go to with these things. This is who you go to if you have questions about this. And and they had an app where they could put, when they pulled up their, uh, their work assignment and the tasks that they were responsible for for the day and, you know, where they clocked in and out and so forth, those people's names were right there. You mm -hmm. could tap on their name. It would give you their phone number, give you their email. Like we always made sure that it was very clear who was in charge, who you report stuff to um, when you are dealing with that. Because if you don't, then to your point, the spotlight gets shown on the most known individual in the group. And that person may or may not be aware. We don't, you know, obviously Lizzo is denying all of these allegations. We don't know. And a, and, and a lot of this stuff doesn't even have anything to do with her. She wasn't present. Right. Um, she wasn't participating. So we don't know if she was aware that these things were happening or not, you know, to be able to condone it one way or the other. So, and, and so I think your language when you just gave, in that example that you gave is that, you know, when people go out and they're doing work in the field, they have a captain. Mm -hmm. And so it's really interesting that the captain of the dancers Ooh. are one of the main people that are highlighted in, the name name. in this lawsuit. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. what if this was their place? Mm -hmm. What happens when, and we don't know for sure, mm -hmm. but I'm thinking that with this being such an untraditional type of workplace, um, the people that are point in charge, I would assume, and maybe they can correct us if, they, if, if we're wrong about that, would have more obligation than just the craft that you've been hired to do there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because of so much that can happen, not only mm -hmm. in traditional workspaces, but let's talk about on the road. Yeah. In the city, close quarters. Right. In time together, overnights in a way that most colleagues don't spend the don't night with spend. their colleagues. Uh -huh. So I mean, the, I mean, the environment is ripe for, for a problems, lot of, for conflict, for mm -hmm. conflict, for bleeding, for boundary crossing, for all of that. I would think that there would be special vigilance paid to the fact that it's so non-traditional in which, in the ways in which they are having to interact, that there will be a measure that was put into place. So I would be really, I would be really curious. If the captain that's named in the lawsuit was also supposed to be the point place of when things came up, yeah, yeah, I I would wonder that as well. And uh, and at this time, you know, we're speculating on right. on all of that and trying to 
point to, um, I would guess I would say best practices, best practices of, of yeah. what can be done. But I would, I know there has to be, you know, there are people who are, there's the performance aspect. You also have people that are responsible for like set and sound and musicians and all of those sorts of things. And some of those people are local and some of those people are moving along with you, but there's going to be a tour manager. Like there's a team that is coordinating all of this stuff. One of the things that the, the lawsuit alleges is that in several cities, they had, um, in several cities, they had basically like auditions for their spots that they had to dance against local dancers and dancers that have been brought in to keep their spot on the tour. Um, and if they did not outdance these other dancers, they could have potentially been fired and they didn't know if being fired meant they would just be left there or that they didn't have to find their own way home or that, you know, they would just be given a plane ticket to go back to wherever they had no idea. So no. there, all of that takes concerted effort and coordination. Somebody has to be <laughs> running the point um, on all those sorts of things. And it ain't Lizzo, right? right. So um, whether it's the, and it, and even if it's the dance captain, I would imagine if she is responsible for the schedule of the dancers, their choreography and so forth, she can't be the one reserving spaces for dance auditions and finding local dancers. Like there's Absolutely. a lot. Like of, there's another team within this team. Yeah. That, there's yeah, a, and, yeah. and that I would imagine is pretty true in most work environments, like these, these harassment issues and these hostile working, like stuff like this doesn't happen in a vacuum. It just doesn't like it doesn't happen. And it doesn't often happen without the knowledge of lots of other people and, and the lots of other people turning a blind eye to think when things seem strange. Um, and until we as a society reach a place where we are just unwilling to allow that to like you tried it it's okay to try it but we're not gonna let it slide until right. we get to the point where we don't let it slide i think we're going to continue to um to to see and hear about you know horrible working conditions like what it is that we're hearing in this lawsuit and I'm, I'm wondering, and you and I talked a little bit about this in pre-show, about the mental health of the individuals who were in charge. Um, and one of the things that you said that struck me that I wanted to make sure that we explored together on air is that who's checking the mental health of these individuals to make sure that they are fit to lead through this kind of a process where is right. that support right. and so my question for you um as our expert in residence <laughs> is what is it as an employer what should we be looking for to make sure that individuals are fit to lead through the stressors that may come with 
their job. Like this woman as a dance captain. Um, obviously, she's going to be traveling extensively. Um, strange places, strange, um, you know, changes of time zone, changes of climate, um, sleeping in at odd hours and in odd places, working mm -hmm. with new individuals. What should we be assessing for in mm -hmm. terms of, of their mental fitness mm -hmm. to handle that level of, of stress? Um, and how does that then trickle down to, to those of us working in more, you know, traditional job roles? Right. So I, I first want to just say that poor behavior does not constitute a mental illness. First mm. and foremost, making yeah. poor decisions and poor behavior does not mean under any circumstance you rise to the level of qualifications of a DSM diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Poor behavior can actually just be poor behavior poor because behavior. you're making very poor decisions. Right. So because I, I and I want to say that also because there are people who with the statistics of people that are living with depression and mental illness, mm -hmm. um, anxiety, and so many other of the common um, mental health illnesses that we're seeing now, they are out here holding jobs every single day without incident. Amen. They're holding it every day without incident, present company included, if I'm being very transparent. Exactly. Same here. So I definitely want to make sure that the listeners who hear this knows that because you have a mental illness or because you're living and surviving a mental illness does not mean that you're not uh, that you're not fit for employment. That's yes. that's not the case at all. Poor behavior is poor behavior. That being said, it is very difficult to to assess how a person is going to respond under a particular set of conditions because any one of us under the right set of circumstances might have a very different response mm -hmm. than what we tell people when we're doing it hypothetically or when we're conjecturing on what we're going to do. Yeah. So I would think that the 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 best thing to put in place would be more preemptive in the sense of not trying to get, because you're not owed anybody's HIPAA information. As mm -hmm. an employer, you're not allowed that. That's totally against the law. But if you know this, that we're in this, if we're in this un, in um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, untraditional work environment, mm -hmm. and these are the elements that come up with the touring, the lack of sleep, um, the changes of city, the changes of time zone, what that does to people, perhaps whether you're taking care of your body or not, mm -hmm. um, physical demands as a dancer, since that's mm -hmm. what we're talking about specifically here, what that means for you, preemptively, I would put something in place for a person to have a person that they are required to check in as a part of their employment. Mm, yeah. You working with a, a licensed clinical mental health professional, or even if a coach is something, and, and, and I mean, we can get into the debate around that. For me, I'm a therapist, I'm licensed, I'm a licensed mental health professional. In instances like this, I would say more so working with a, a, a qualified mental health professional, that you have to do it. Mm -hmm. It's not optional. It's, con it's contingent upon your employment because if I'm Lizzo or someone that's in the entertainment industry, they get on documentaries all the time that talk about the impact mm -hmm. of tour. And you know, Michael Jackson gave us one of our best interviews around that when he talked about he hate touring mm -hmm. and then went into this whole thing, right? But, but even the king of pop himself knows how treacherous this, this, th th how this can be on a person. Yeah. 
So there's no way to know how they're going to respond. But what I would do is put something in place that they have to have a touch point on how they're managing the stress, mm -hmm. how they're managing the conflict. Before I hire you as the dance captain, where I know we're going to be doing maybe a 50 city tour and then maybe some international dates and different things. I need to know how you manage conflict. Mm -hmm. What are your, what's been your earliest messages around conflict? Mm -hmm. Is your style more conflict avoiding or do you feel present in being able to hold that space? Mm -hmm. How do you manage stress? Mm -hmm. How do you manage any pre-existing conditions that I might not know of while dealing with this? Because we also know, again, you don't know what turns on the expression of something else. But again, given the right conditions, it can trigger something different. Yeah. Yeah. So that that would be one of the things that I would put into place is making sure a part of your work, you would have to go through a training of how you deal with grief, mm -hmm. how you deal with conflict, how you deal with boundaries, how you manage your self-care, how mm -hmm. you manage communication. Mm -hmm. Those are five areas right off. Those are the five common areas that we're going to always see when we're interacting with other human beings. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have those skills, I would be assessing those skills, not how you think you want to be in those areas, how you actually place in those areas. And mm -hmm. if I saw that I'm the, the tour hiring person for the person that's going to be dancing, you know, the captain of the dancers. If you pour, if you poll scorely, um, poll, poll lowly on those scores, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that you can't do this because your craft is still your craft because you're probably an amazing, incredible dancer. Right. Well, we got to get you skilled up in some other areas as well, too. Or we have to put someone alongside you. Or we have to put to someone. To make up for that. That's right. That's mm -hmm. right. We have to put someone alongside you that can help you in that area. So, mm -hmm. so it's really difficult to assess what that is. But what I would be doing is putting some things in the place on on the front end. Yeah. There was another point that I had around that that just that's absolutely slipping me in this moment. I'm sure I, it'll come up again. Because this, come has been, this has been such a juicy thing to look at. This is mm -hmm. a really really juicy thing to look at. Oh, the second thing is, it's conjecture. I'm not making any qualitative statements here. Nothing like what's alleged in that lawsuit just happens for the first time. Yeah. You understand? Nothing that's in that lawsuit happens on that level at the first. This is, if it's true, mm -hmm. if the allegations are true, there is a crumb trail somewhere. Mm -hmm. That's true. Somebody had whispers. Somebody has worked along some, with someone, I'm sure, in these particular communities with these particular niches like musicians or dancers or anything. Those are very small and tight-knit communities. Right. Somebody's heard something before. Yeah. 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 And, and if that's the case, because nothing this large just happens for the first time. This is just the first time that it's been magnified to this degree. Yeah. I think that's important um, to note as well, because I can tell you from years of working as an investigator in employee relations and dealing with um, sexual harassment claims that um, when you, when someone finally reports, because the amount of people who don't report similar to sexual assault, those, the amount of people who don't report it far outweighs 
the number of people who actually do. Right. And by the time you receive a report, chances are they it's happened five, ten plus times before. Right. Um, and if you investigate well enough, you'll uncover, like you said, those breadcrumbs mm-hmm. that will lead you to the evidence of, you know, of this person is as being much more serial in the way that they are handling this um, and and showing the pattern of escalation because people get bold when they don't get caught. So right. you do it you do it the first time and it may be very minor, but nobody says anything to you. So it gets louder and louder and louder and more bold until we're we're at the point where there is a lawsuit. And so you right. have to you have to pay attention to that and um, address those things if that's not something that you want to be a part of the culture of your workplace. And this tour was a workplace. So, mm-hmm. And that's, that's how it's being defined for the purposes of this lawsuit. Oh, the lawsuit, yes, that, right. Yeah, and those are the lessons that we can draw from as we talk about that. I love your points around we don't know what people are going to do in situations until they get in those situations. But what we can assess is whether or not they have skills in those key five areas that you mentioned already that they can speak to, because if they have skills in those areas already that they can speak to proficiently, Mm -hmm. um, then chances are they're going to deal better in those circumstances than they will if you ask them, you know, what is your self-care routine or where, you know, what boundaries do you set? And they go, I don't know. Well, when they don't know, then there has to be almost a conflict. Um, someone has to hit the boundary. Someone has to violate the the thing in order for them to realize that this is not okay for me. And that automatically is going to lead to more of a blow up. Um, right. Or if they're a person who does not who lets conflict fester who doesn't address things um immediately and with the appropriate level of importance um because everything you can't go zero to a hundred on everything right. sometimes sometimes it's a one you know sometimes yeah. all you need is is that level of your mm-hmm. attention versus something that but if you um, immediately go from zero to one a hundred on everything then your conflict mitigation skills are not going to be good enough in this. They're not going to be effective. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be effective. And it, and with, with your, and I'm, I'm glad that you brought that that up because if that's if that's the type of environment that happens here, of course people are going to be scared to come forward. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens in regular workplaces. That's what happens what in work, regular workplaces. So that happens is that they, you know people are afraid to come forward because there's going. It's not going to be received well. They feel like they're not going to be believed or they and they feel like there's going to be ridicule um, that happens to them as a result of it. And it doesn't have to necessarily it can be a small thing. It can be, a, you know, I don't really like when you, um, you know, the way that. I can remember people with smells. I'll use that as an example in workplaces where somebody may have like a diffuser on their desk or a spray or a perfume 
And just going to someone and telling them that this particular smell is is an aversion of some is sort. is difficult for me, yeah. or that um, this is triggering my allergies. People will sit there and sneeze themselves into a stupor before they will go to the person on the other side of the cubicle wall and say, you know, this smell is triggering me. Can we, how can, like, can we do something about that? And, or they bring it to their manager or they bring it to HR, you know, and they look for us to like rule on how it is that, that, and that's, I mean, that's really not what we're there for. I know mm -hmm. that it becomes a part of our job because other people are not equipped to handle it, but that's really not, you know, what we're there for. Conflict should be resolved at the lower po lowest possible level. And right. most of the time that means interpersonally. Mm -hmm. So it's so important to prepare people for how you want them to address issues within your workplace and to role play that um, for them as you're, onboarding and orienting them into your organization right um because otherwise you end up with nobody can have anything that smells and i've seen right. those policies like and, and for a lot of people that's that's a those blanket policies a lot of times what's underneath that is the um, the inability to be able to effectively manage conflict yeah. and con confrontation yeah. And we really we really do need to change the conversation. And this is probably for another day, but really changing the conversation around conflict altogether. Mm -hmm. Conflict is so normal and natural. And needed. And it's, needed. It's needed. Yeah. When you're dealing with humans. Um, and it's really our the stuff, the stories that we're telling ourselves about the issue that's going on that's causing more of the problem than the actual like conversation itself. And mm -hmm. our ability to be able to communicate with another individual about what is negatively affecting us, what we need from them in response, and then leave the space open for them to communicate their mm -hmm. needs and feelings as well and us together acknowledge and resolve this problem like the it we continue as a, as humanity to just do poorly at being able to do that and everything becomes this like battle to the death over the smallest of smallest of things yeah. and that can't be in workplaces and the more that your workplace feels like that eventually people just stop bringing up issues and they deal with it um begrudgingly or they leave mm -hmm. um because it the conflict can't be managed there's no mm -hmm. there's no middle there's no place for me you know for me and my needs to be acknowledged and that and is what, not good and what we're basically what we're essentially talking about here and there's been a lot of um call for it for years even with the um within different workplaces, the you see the resurgence of uh, liberal arts and humanity degrees being mm -hmm. very well um, being um, highlighted more in these places. What we're actually talking about is the ability to engage in forms of emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. So those things that we oftentimes see as soft, those soft skills mm -hmm. actually is what helps 
everything else. They're so essential. They are they're not, not like, soft at all. The soft they're, skills are the most difficult skills. They are the to, most difficult to master. to master. You took the words right out of my mouth. Mm -hmm. So, and, and there's a call for more people to be in workspaces that that come from a place educationally. And it still doesn't mean that because educationally you come from a place that you've mastered those skills. But I can see the connection that's trying to be made here mm -hmm. is that there's more critical thinking that's more toying around. It's not black and white. It's more gray area to mess around emotionally, cognitively um, to arrive at something different versus A, B equals C. Like each part right. has its own you know, own space in the workplace. But until we really get serious about the conversation around emotional intelligence in the workplace, we're going to continue to see stuff just like this. Yeah. And I think until we make it as required as any other workplace skill, like we're going back to this, the example and what we're focusing around this conversation with Lizzo until the the whether it's Lizzo herself, whether it's the dance captain, whether it's someone else, you know, within her group, but until I can be a fantastic dancer, but I am a horrible communicator and connector. I can't connect emotionally if you have zero emotional intelligence, but I have all this dance skill. Yeah. Until someone says you are an amazing dancer but you have zero emotional intelligence. And so that means that you have zero dance skill in my book. Mm -hmm. you, you can't work on my tour. You mm -hmm. can't be, you know, you can't do this great thing that you can do. And whether, and we see it in, in, in sports. Um, we see it, we hear about it, you know, in other areas of the entertainment industry. And every one of us has a, has a super jerky coworker who is, you know, the top whatever. They're the the best salesperson, the best marketing person, the best IT wizard, whatever, but they don't know how to talk to people. Mm -hmm. And they and they can't get along with anyone to save their life. Mm -hmm. And yet we just gloss over it. And until it's, it's that, what we value. It's, it's an overvalue is an overvaluation of a particular set of skills over something else. Yeah, so and I think yeah, the thing for me, particularly with the pandemic, because that's always going to be a, a like inflection point, mm -hmm. and the ways that it's changed people, how we work, how we relate to one another, in some ways good and in some ways bad. But as we continue to push this return to office um, around for those of us who have had the luxury, have the luxury of being able to work remotely because almost 80% of the population does not. But for those who do, and now we're pushing return to office, people have lost those skills. So organizations have to be prepared to refresh individuals on those sorts of things and and make sure that as they are asking people to come back physically into shared spaces with one another because at least if if you start acting up on a zoom i could turn the camera off mm -hmm. and and or you know i can be like up oh, up oh, my wi-fi cut out and i can take a break <laughs> i can take a break from you i can't do that necessarily in in a in an in-person environment and but so, here's the thing, you actually can. 
that if, if, mm. if, if, we're, if we're talking about true emotional intelligence, understanding when you're becoming activated in a situation, mm -hmm. even face to face, could sound something like, I want to make sure that I'm plugged in and can really hear what's happening here. What will help me do that is if I give myself five to 10 minutes and then I'll mm -hmm. come. Mm -hmm. So there's ways to practice that even face to face. Yeah. Letting people know that I really want to hear what's happening. I, really, yeah. I want to hear your point. I want to hear what perspective, um, perspective you might have or even any disagreement that you have. But I'm also aware that there's something that's happening in me as I'm engaging in this that's taking me out of this situation. I love that because that was the question that I was going to ask you. Like, as we come into that, like, how do we take that same thing and be able to do it in, in person and you slid right into it? Yeah. And so, and I love that. And so, um, what I, it, which leads me to my last question which is what is it that keeps workplaces from embracing that more wholeheartedly? And I think it goes back to what we talked about in pre-show, mm -hmm. that collectively in the workplace, by and large, we have not agreed that this is a value. Yeah. We've agreed that production is the value is the yeah. primary and sole value. Yeah. And that in pockets and silos in, in corporations across the country and, and internationally, there might be people who are attuned enough to say, wait a minute, there's some other things that might need to happen in this place that helps the production of this place. But the, I think the percentage of that is very small. Yeah. And just as, we just as we talked about before, it typically comes up, it's either people that really value the importance of connection and being able to work well with the people that you're spending the most hours with on a day-to-day -day basis. Mm -hmm. That's even that's either something that's decided collectively on a team. And that still doesn't mean that that's part of the whole structure of the organization. Right, right. It's might just be that one that team, team, right? So that doesn't mean that that's a value of the organization. Or there's something that's so egregious that's happened. That, it, that the response become reactive. Mm. And typically when the response is reactive, it's also short-lived. Yeah, yeah. And so that so outside of emotional intelligence, we saw that in 2020 around George Floyd. Yes. And, yeah. and, and issues around race. So there mm -hmm. was this run of putting in DE&I work into places or building upon those structures but now you can go to the research or just even just go to articles that you see the the, the visible divestment mm -hmm. the visible divestment of these things that two years prior to we said this was the most important thing that needs to happen mm -hmm. and then there's this very quiet and then not so quiet divestment of it yeah so it keeps going back so if when it's reactive it's there but it's short-lived mm -hmm. It has to be built into the structure, into the infrastructure of the company. Right. That this is what we value. We value profits. We value people. We value conditions that people work in. And how can we create this place if we're collectively saying this is what we want to do here? Yeah. And I think um, that is a very, I, I, know, I can't say you can say, I think I know from working with clients, that's a very, difficult pivot for most organizations to make 
because the fear that if I pause, if I slow things down in order to attend to the emotional needs of people, I will lose my competitive edge and my business won't recover and thrive. So do and, you want to lose the competitive edge? Because uh, uh, that again, that's a story that you can make up about that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Or do you want to continue to lose the money that you pay in insurance? Right. For people, because that's one of the primary areas that a lot of people come to therapy for. Yep. Is yep. workplace dissatisfaction, dissatisfaction and mm -hmm. issues. Mm -hmm. So either way. You're going to spend it. You won't you spend, won't spend it. it because, you're and I know that's true because you're going to see people now, not they're in therapy, they're on medications, whether it be for mental health or pain or some other chronic illness. Um, the absenteeism goes up. So you're paying for sick time, vacation time, whatever. Low office people, morale. Yep. Office morale is low. So productivity is down. Like it, it's going to ripple effect one way or the other. So it's going to slow you down on one end or the other. The question is, which end do you want it to slow you down on? And I think if, you know, as we watch this case unfold, it's easy. The, the easy thing is to just point the finger at Lizzo. Right. And say, we knew she wasn't for real. We knew she wasn't body positive. We knew hurt people hurt people. Like all the, you know, typical. And you know, adages. it's been a segment that's waiting, that's been waiting to point. Oh, that yeah. Point. Oh, for sure. It's oh, for waiting. sure. Yeah. <clears throat> and I'm not in that segment. Um, I am, I believe in believing victims. So I'm going to take these women at their word mm -hmm. that that they had experiences that caused them harm while they were working. And I'm also going to believe that Lizzo can rebound from this and find a way to use this in her overall message. It's gonna I'm gonna, gonna, I'm gonna choose both. Yeah, and I'm gonna, I'm going to, because this is the same person who I remember something, you know, changed the lyric in her song because people found out that, you know, because people educated her that there, that this was something offensive, and she was like, oh, okay, no problem. Boop, boop, boop. The lyric is gone. So I it's hard for me to believe that a person with that level of like caring and consciousness is just so Jekyll and Hyde in terms right. of the way that they behave. Can, can you slip up and say and do some things? Sure. Um, but this sort of pervasiveness um, is difficult for me to accept. And, and as I read more about it, realizing that it wasn't all her, that it was a mm -hmm. lot of the people around. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes you as a leader just don't know what's happening in the other levels of, of your organization. And so... And that can't be the excuse because it's no, your organization. No, but right? you still have to take accountability That's right. for That's right. what went on on your watch. You know, pay the price, whatever that price may be. Um, and be intentional about how you make sure that that doesn't happen again and what lessons that you share to the world 
about how and why you need to do better. And I'm choosing to believe that that's what's going to come from this. Mm -hmm. Um, And as we dissect, you know, this and take our lessons from it, I think it is absolutely a call for us to one, remember why, remember that workplaces, workplace is way more expansive than yeah. just the the building, the the Zoom, the Zoom where it happens, you know, it, it's much more expansive than that and not to lose sight of that in the way that you interact with people. And two, um, it's a call for us to continue to push for greater emotional intelligence um, in mm-hmm. terms of how we, how we operate um, with one another. Because if we don't, situations like this um, and worse, are going to continue to, to come up mm-hmm. in the workplace. Well, we're going to keep watching this case. We're going to keep looking for ways to to learn from it as we go along. We may revisit this topic again, depending on how it all um, fleshes out. But wanted to, to pause and take a moment right, in, right now to um, make sure that we spoke about it because it's been in the news. It's been something I know myself and Charlie have been asked to opinionate about and so we thought why not do it here so we want to thank you all for listening to the latest episode of the inclusion crusade i want to thank charlie pleasant our expert in residence once again for being with us and for sharing her wisdom and insights um i am going to transition this back over to the wonderful team at the hr happy hour once again i am sarah morgan and this is the inclusion crusade